As Ryan said, my name is Tristan, and uh, I am going to be preaching to y'all this morning with y'all. So we're all here. So uh, my name is Tristan. I'm on staff here. Uh, I work with our kids and our youth, and so uh, it's really fun to get to be here. I saw several new people here, uh, and all of you guys made it by 10.09, which is something. Uh, so it's new service time, and so we're just really glad you're here. And uh, I'm going to start off with a word of prayer, because that seems fitting. So uh, Lord, just thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you so much for the beautiful weather on the drive-in, uh, the awesome new paved um, parking lot, and um, God, we just thank you that it's summer. It's here, and uh, we just pray you be glorified this morning as um, we talk about your word and be encouraged to walk it out in truth. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Cool. So um, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke 9 this morning. But while you're turning there, myself included, uh, I was just going to share a little story. So my wife and I, uh, Abby, met at a summer camp in northern Michigan. And I talk about it all the time. Love it up there, Lake Ann. And during the, the training for all the counselors, we had to do these like leadership exercises, communication initiatives, trust initiatives, those sorts of things, uh, all to like, you know, build staff unity and those sorts of things. And one of my favorite ones that we had to do um, was we would get into teams of like seven or eight, and we'd all have to, like, we'd face one another, so we'd be kind of like, you know, staggered a little bit. We'd all put out our fingers like this and kind of like zipper it down the line, and someone would lay a stick across our fingers. You tracking? Well, the goal of the exercise was to get the stick on the ground. But the one rule was you couldn't let the stick break contact with your fingers. And so with eight people like touching this not very heavy stick, and like in one sense you need to drop your fingers to get it to the ground, but the only rule is you can't let your finger break contact, what happened every time was that the stick would lay, raise in the air. We called it the levitating stick initiative. And it was so infuriating. You'd be like, Johnny, stop! I know you're lifting the stick or whatever. And so it was like infuriating, but always after like 10 times in prayer, like finally, like, okay, like get all the way down, and then like, you broke the, anyway, it was so fun, but I, I just will always remember that. Another one that I remember, a little bit less fun, but it stands out, and it's, uh, all that was a preamble to tell you this story, was there was another one, um, another initiative that we had to do where we'd get paired up in people, and they'd lead us out into the woods, and they would blindfold one of us, and there was no, like, direction that you had to go, but the only task was you had to listen and trust your partner to lead you through the woods. And so, yeah, we'd just be, probably looked ridiculous, just a bunch of people out there, like, like hands at your side, you couldn't like feel your way around, but they'd say, you know, there's a, there's a stick in front of you, so you like step over it, and, like the ground would always be there, but it just felt so unnatural. I remember like it being so difficult for me, or they'd be like, you know, there's a little bit of a rut that you're gonna go down, and you're gonna come up the other side, and there's a, a, a tree limb that you gotta go under, and you're just doing all of this just by listening. Um, and no one ever died. Like, the ground was always there every step you took. Um, but it's still just, like, every step was, like, so unnatural. Um, and I wanted you guys just to picture with me for a second. Imagine we're standing there. It's sort of, you know, I got a blindfold on. And my partner is, like, hard you know, take steps forward. I just stood there. I just, like, take some steps forward. I was like, no, I hear you. Like, I'm listening. Like, okay, well, uh, you know. Are you going to take some steps? Like, you know, do you trust me? Like, yeah, no, no, I totally trust you. It's like, okay, well, then kind of reach an impasse here. I don't understand why you're not, like, listening to me. Like, walk forward. 
And this story that we're going to read in Luke this morning is a little bit that way. Um, There's only one command in the whole text, and that is listen to Jesus. And what we're going to look at are all the things that keep us from listening. We say we trust him, we're listening, we're not walking forward in obedience in a lot of ways. And so we're going to look at this and just remind one another why we should. So if you're with me in Luke 9, verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. So real quick pause, um, just because anytime you start in a passage, or the middle of a passage, it says, now about eight days. So what just happened about a week earlier was Peter, um, one of Jesus' most audacious disciples, um, made a profession that Jesus was the Christ. It's this really big deal. There's so much wrapped into this idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised, the one who was coming. All of Israel for all time was looking forward to this guy. And Peter confesses, you are that guy. And so right after that, in verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we've kind of spiritualized the cross, like, you know, oh, like deny yourself. But like almost all of the disciples literally picked up their cross at some point because of Jesus and died, Jesus included. And so we can imagine how in the wake of the, the moment, you know, Peter was probably nervous to say like that Jesus was the Christ, like, oh, what if I'm wrong? Jesus' first thing that he says afterwards is, I'm gonna die. They just didn't have a, a, a mental category for that, right? That didn't fit into the story that they heard. And so it's after all of these things, I can imagine they're still just like reeling from that. Eight days later, they take um, Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray. So back to the text, verse 29, it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And Jesus' clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said, Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Yet a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in these days anything of what they had seen. So, um, yeah, so Peter, the disciple, or Jesus and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, were up on a mountain, and they're praying. And as if praying with Jesus wasn't exciting enough, it says that they fell asleep. I get that. Um, But as they were praying, like a bright lamp lit in a dark room, Jesus becomes illuminated. So he's like dazzlingly white, and whether it was dark outside or not, it caught their attention. They they woke up, they realized, okay, Jesus isn't praying anymore. He's standing here talking with two people. But before that, I just want to kind of uh, think through as as the first listeners would have read Luke, what they would have thought, I think, imagining um, that when they read that Jesus became dazzlingly white, that that would have reminded them of a story uh, in the book of Exodus when Moses was on a mountain. He was talking with God, and he said, God, I want to see your face. He said, well, no one can see me and live, so I'll spare you that, but I will pass by you and let you see my glory. And he put Moses in the cleft of a rock, um, and he, he walked by, and it says that the radiance from God's glory was so profound that Moses' face started glowing. And so we can imagine 
the disciples standing there and they see Jesus with the radiance of God and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And yet they're standing there. He's standing there talking with two people. And I don't know if they were wearing name tags. So like one, like Moses or Elijah. I don't know how they knew. But they were like, he's talking with Moses and Elijah. Moses was the one with whom like God said, you can't see my face and live. And yet here he is talking with Jesus. This is really, really cool. And Peter recognized the holiness of the moment. He was like, I, I got to respond somehow. And so he sticks his foot in his mouth, like classic Peter. He's like, Lord, it's good that we should be here. And it says that the, that Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah about his departure, which is a euphemism for death, right? Jesus is going to put off the death. So again, re, reiterating this confusing idea that this is Jesus. I think he's the Christ, but he's talking about his death. And Moses, or Peter's like, you know, it's good that we be here. Like, let's not go to Jerusalem. We can just stay up on this mountain. We'll set up some tents. You don't have to go to Jerusalem and die. Like, that's nonsense. And the ESV literally says, not knowing what he said. Other translations I thought were funnier. They said he didn't know what he was saying. So it's like it, drawing attention to, like Peter was just filling the space, filling the, the void with his words, and God interrupts. It says a cloud descended on them. And I don't know if it came over just Peter, James, and John, or over um, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah as well, but a cloud descended. And just like on the mountain, when Moses interfaced with God, it was always on a mountain, there was always a cloud, and God's voice came from the cloud. So this is craziness. This has not happened since the time that Moses was alive, that God would have descended in cloud form and talked to them. And so Peter says, it's good that we be here. A voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's it. It's the only thing that he says. This is only the second time that um, God the Father speaks in Luke. The other time, um, he is also authenticating that Jesus is his son. It's at his baptism. So Jesus comes out of the baptism of waters, and a voice from heaven goes, says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, and this time, this says, this is my son. Listen to him. And so um, this idea of Jesus being the chosen one should trigger our minds to think, okay, this is Christ language, this is Messiah language. Um, the chosen one immediately would have brought to mind Isaiah chapter 42 in a prophecy about the Christ who was to come. I'm going to turn there with a moment. Verse 41 says, Behold my servant, sorry, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness and I will take you by the hand and keep you and I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, to from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. 
So this here in Isaiah 42 is God saying, I will make you a covenant. He's speaking to this chosen one um, about these things. He says, I give my glory to no one else. And yet here Jesus is on the mountain full of the glory of God. It is amazing. And I feel like if, if I were, you know, God speaking out of the cloud, all I would have to say is, this is my son. He's my chosen one. I wouldn't even need to say, listen to him. Because that's like obvious. If this is God and he's the chosen one, of course we'll listen to him. And yet God thought it was important to remind us, listen to him, all right? So why don't we listen to God? I can just imagine, you know, like, all right, Jesus, ready to walk in your path. Might be blindfolded. I don't see what's ahead. Um, he's like giving us instructions. We just, our feet stay still. Tristan, do you, do you trust me? Do you, are you listening? Like, yeah, I listen. I trust you. I'm not grasping why you're, you're not walking forward in obedience. And what we realize is that listening is never really just about listening. We can listen to, you know, I can listen to my mom growing up giving me chores and be like, I heard every word of that. Yeah, for sure. And then like if she gets home and the chores aren't done, like she was like, not mad that I didn't listen, but that the listening didn't listen to lead to obedience. Main idea this morning, listening to God that honors him should lead us to trust and obedience. So, um, what sorts of things keep us from listening to God? That's what we're going to be battling through. I mean, if, if we're here this morning, we're like, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the chosen one. I, you know, I want to trust and obey him, um, and yet we find ourselves not listening to him. What are those things? Well, the first one uh, might just be that we um, aren't spending time with him, right? I don't listen to most of you, not because I don't like you. I'm just not spending time in a setting where I can hear your voice and like we're dialoguing. And so step number one, if we are going to be good listeners of Jesus, we need to be spending focused time in his word, in prayer, in song. We're here this morning, reminding one another of truth, of what Jesus says is true about us. Um, but most of us are giving like maybe like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, 30 if we're like really spiritual, um, a day with Jesus, and then the rest of the day, we're spending time listening to competing voices. And that's really the, the second reason that we don't listen to Jesus isn't so much that we're not wanting to, but that we're listening to so many other media and messaging that are telling us who we are, what God is like. They might use that language, but that is they're competing for ultimate truth claims that should change how we behave. So I just want to give an example and caveat. I'm guilty of this as well. You know, my quiet times are not, you know, all day long. Uh, I'm not just forsaking all other messaging and not listening to the voices of the world. But I just wanted to highlight two um, sort of messages or, or areas of our life that the world, I feel like, is really persuading us not to listen to Jesus. Um, and these are like as thorns and thistles are to our faith that can choke them out. These other voices can drown out Jesus's voice. So consider how we spend our time, right? So uh, how many of us, you know, our evenings are either spent uh, just being a servant to the Netflix queue or scrolling on your phone or, um, you know, just not in community with others. Um, that, that's me a lot of times, right? Um, others, you know, we might be, we don't have, I don't have time for that Netflix stuff. I've got two important things to do. And we're out busying our time with, you know, career advancement, working well into the evening, or um, there's just always one more thing to do, and, and that's fine too. And I'm not trying to bring down judgment on either of these things, but to the extent that Jesus tells us how we should be spending our time, if those voices that tell us we should spend our time that way don't line up with Jesus, then listening to Jesus would be obeying him in those areas. Yeah? So, let us also consider how we interact with people who are different from us. 
There are some voices that say when someone disagrees with you or is different than you, you should publicly scorn them. You should slander them to your friends on your Facebook. You should put really big stickers like on your, on your car, maybe even flags on a pole, right? Because when we're different than others, you should tell them that you hate them. There, those are, there are persuasive voices out there that are convincing us this is real. There are other people, there are other voices, and I've, I've been there. I've fallen prey to that voice that tells me that I should hate my enemies. There are other voices that say, uh, yeah, doesn't, who cares what differences you have? You just need to embrace people and you don't need, really need to speak the truth to them and, and, and that's, that's okay because you know, it's just all about like, bringing them in. And I've been there too. Forsaken differences and you know, not brought them up. All I'm saying is that to the extent that Jesus speaks into how we treat people that are different from us, listening to Jesus should begin with trust and lead to obedience because we think that Jesus is the chosen one who has the very words of life, right? No shame, no guilt. Another teaching that Jesus teaches is forgiveness. So we can be here. We're in good company. Um, It's all good. So the type of listening that we are aiming for has to begin with trust and leading to obedience. Um, But this is just kind of another way of framing the four questions that we talk about all the time here. So the four questions, if you're new with us, that we often rehearse to ourselves and to one another are who are God, who is God, our works, it's plurality. Who is God? Uh, What has he done? Because of who God is and what he's done, who am I? And what should I then do? And the logic goes that if God is in control of everything, if he's proven himself as trustworthy, if he has demonstrated faithfulness to me, that's who he is, that's what he's done, then I should trust him. And that should change. Who God is should change what I'm doing, right? So this is just kind of another reframing of that. Um, But when we reflect on what God is and what he's done, we can relax into, okay, I'm following Jesus into this. He's gone before me. He's done this. He's done whatever hard thing it is. And he said the joy was on the other side. I can trust him and relax into it. Um, And so we need to interact with the story of God. We need to be listening to it on a regular basis until it becomes just muscle memory, that becoming, and I remember as I did the blindfold exercise, it got easier with time, you know? At first it was like, I didn't trust that the ground was gonna be there because I couldn't see it, and then I did, okay, you know, after maybe 50 steps or or whatever, and it got easier with time to, okay, I can trust my facilitator, they're not gonna lead me into like a pit of snakes or something, uh, whatever. And I think that sometimes we get so fearful of what God has to say that we would think that he's not leading us into what's best, right? Why do we think that? He has given us every reason to trust him. Um, I wanna turn to one of my favorite passages, 2 Peter 1. Um, I had this whole section memorized for a New Testament assignment once when I was in college, and I don't remember very much of it, so this is a fun exercise for me to get back and be reminded of what truths are here. 2 Peter 1, here we are, there we go, cool. Verse 12, it says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be at any time able to recall these things. So that's the reason we gather. We gather to be reminded of truth so that though you know like who here found out this morning that Jesus was the Christ according to scripture, right? We know that. And yet, we need to be stirred up by way of reminder. It's why we sing. It's why we pray. It's why we gather. Um, Like I said, this is one of my favorite passages, but I didn't notice until I was studying for this message that um, this 
that passage that I just read is kind of fits squarely in the middle of Peter reflecting on the transfiguration. So look with me in verse 16. He keeps going. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Isn't that cool? Because Jesus was full of God's glory on that dark night. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, Jesus didn't just confirm his divinity to these three people, and we have to take his word for it, right? Jesus died publicly in front of Rome, and later was raised to life and appeared to more than 500 people at one time. We have a lot of reason. We've actually done a really good teaching. I, don't, I was going to have the date memorized. It's going to be kind of cool. We actually did a really cool teaching um, back in the spring on why we can trust Scripture. Um, but it is trustworthy. God has at every turn, even if you don't you know, assent to the truth of it, if this were true, you could imagine, well, God's put his skin in the game, and we should listen to this guy if he's real right? I believe he's real. I think we have reason to believe he's real. But if he is and who he says he is and what he's done, then we have every reason to trust him. But that's why we need to be reminded of these truths to remember and practice embodying what Jesus says. So one of the other ways that we have been given um, to remember who God is and what he's done is through communion. So um, if you didn't get one of these, there are two over there. You can get one now. Um, but this is a practice as old as the church, right? Jesus instituted this, and he um, has given us reason to listen to his voice. But I feel like communion can just be kind of another piece of noise in our mind instead of, I, I want to practice focused listening about what we say and what we're doing when we partake in this. So, the Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he uh, was eating a meal with his closest followers. Uh, this wasn't just any meal. This was communion. Um, sorry, this wasn't just any meal. It wasn't communion yet. It was the Passover meal. So the Passover meal was this meal that the Jews would eat annually, remembering what God had done when he ransomed two million people out of Egyptian captivity. All right? It's a pretty big deal. And so they were eating this meal, and every part of the meal was really like deliberate and intentional. They were all supposed to be reminders of what God had done. And it said while they were eating this meal that Jesus took a hunk of bread from the table, broke it, gave thanks, um, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we can take bread, and we, it can just be like, I even heard, I had this one friend in college, she just referred to like boring people as like pieces of bread, because it's just so Normal, like we we don't have we don't associate bread with anything significant. So when we're like, oh yeah, Jesus, you know, just chose this bread. It was like, you know, this is just one of the two things that he could have chosen. But to the Israelites, the the bread was a lot more you know profound, I suppose. Um, bread to them was the symbol of God's provision. So in the Passover. Um, experience when, uh, so they're celebrating the Passover meal, which was a celebration of the Exodus. When God did that, he was leveling judgment on Egypt, and he said, I will pass over your house if you um, 
slaughter a lamb and do that. And so it's called the Passover. Um, but then they went out into the wilderness and for 40 years, God provided them food every day from the sky. And so there is a, a real extent to which every meal that we eat, God is providing. And we would be wise to remind ourselves of that. But literally for 40 years, they were walking in the desert and God would drop bread from heaven. And after God had done that for 40 years, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says um, this. I think this is worth us meditating on. The whole commandment that I give you today, um, let's start in verse 2, uh, chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, 2. And you shall remember the whole way the, the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether he whether you would keep his commandments or not. And we humbled you and didn't let you, sorry, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which is like bread, which you didn't know and your fathers didn't know that he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing didn't wear out on you. Your foot didn't swell for 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you and you shall keep these commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land, brooks and water, fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So when Jesus took this piece of bread during the Passover meal, it wasn't just bread because Jesus came. Jesus quoted this passage when he said, man doesn't live by bread alone. But one of the things that we're believing when we take communion and eat the bread is that Jesus, we're not just eating bread. We're eating Jesus. He is the better provision. God didn't just say, you can't eat, you know, you can't live by bread alone so good luck. He said, you can't live by bread alone, so I've given you myself. Like, you can't live without bread. Therefore, I will come down from heaven. Jesus literally came from heaven to be the bread that provides the better soul food, not just the physical nourishment. And so, what does it look like for us not just to eat this, but for us to practice that God is our provision? It looks like don't look to other things to provide what Jesus can. So, when we look to romantic relationships or you know, career fulfillment or whatever as providing that deep soul food that Jesus promises to give us, we're essentially saying, Jesus, I don't believe that you are the provision come down from heaven to nourish me. I do believe that I will live by bread alone. And I believe that I'll live by this relationship alone or by this career alone. And I don't believe that you have given me that. So if we're here this morning, you can go ahead and open it up. And you're saying, Jesus, I hear you. I want to believe that you are the better provision. Then take this bread and eat it and remember it to him. The passage goes on to say uh, that when Jesus, uh, when they had finished eating the bread, uh, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the... Um, this uh, cup poured out for you is the new covenant uh, in my blood. Yep, there we go. This, covenant, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I got it right. Um, 
And I want you to remember that in Isaiah 42, when it was promised about this chosen one, that it said that he would be the new covenant. And so just as in the Passover meal, there was a lamb who was slain and the blood was painted on the doorposts and God passed over judgment on that house based on what blood that they looked to, um, that was a blood covering for their sins. It basically identified them with God. It was their covenant relationship that, hey God, you said that if I do this, you won't, you know, enact judgment on me. But that was not the only example of uh, blood covering. After that, God instituted the law that served the Israelites until the time of Jesus, that um, there would be a blood sacrifice for sins over every year. But it was always like a partial sacrifice, right? It happened every year. There were animals involved. And, um, and when Jesus says, this is the blood, which is the new covenant, he was doing away with all that. There's one more thing that I wanted to draw attention to, and that was that in the, this was something that we've been looking to coverings to cover up our sin since the first sin. So Adam and Eve were in the garden, and after they sinned, um, God came looking for them, and they had sown fig leaves for themselves to cover their nakedness. And God gave them animal skins. It was a, it was a better covering for them for that time um, to cover their nakedness. And yet we all look to different coverings to cover or atone for our sin. Some of us blame shift. We say, I'm not a sinner because, you know, it was their fault. Or, you know, I know that I did it really bad, but, you know, look at them. Or some of us, we just make excuses. We look to all sorts of, or we, we even cover up our sins with our good works. Hey, I know I sin, but, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I get in the word regularly. I'm here this morning. And we look to all sorts of other things to cover up our sin. When God is saying, I have provided a better covering for you. Like, you don't have to look to that stuff, which does its job. You know, they weren't naked anymore after they put on clothes. It did its job. But God has given us himself to cover us. Um, the Apostle Paul, in writing um, at, in the end of Ephesians, he says that God has given us Jesus' righteousness like a breastplate that we get to wear to protect us from condemnation and shame. That is incredible. When God looks at us, we are literally hidden underneath of Jesus' righteousness that we're wearing like a breastplate. Why would we not want to look to Jesus' covering that he offers us when he says, I want to atone for your sins. I want you to wear my righteousness. Don't look anywhere else. And because of that, we can be honest with our sin. Like, we don't have to cover it up anymore because we know that when Christ looks at us, we're hidden with Christ under his righteousness. That's incredible. And so we're here this morning, and probably all of us, you know, or many of us, if you identify with Christ, say, I believe that Jesus is covered for my sins. And then yet, every day, like we're blindfolded, when it's time to live that out, to not be shamed, to not be, uh, look to other things, to not cover up our sin, Jesus is like, don't you trust me? Aren't you listening to me? Obey me. And so if you want to be here, and you're saying, I want I want to listen to Jesus. I want to look to him to cover my sin. I want a better blood covering. Then take this cup and drink it. Communion was given to us to be a reminder of things that we know. Just like Peter said, you know these things, you're established in them, but I find it fitting to stir you up by way of a reminder. That's what communion is. We're reminding ourselves of this. There's just one more uh, thing from Luke 9 that I thought was too cool not to share. Um, so Luke 9, Jesus is standing there, and he's talking with 
um, Moses and Elijah. It says that they're, they're talking about his departure, which I mentioned is a euphemism for death, which is true. Um, but the Greek word for departure there is exodus. Jesus was standing there on the mountain talking with Moses and talking with Elijah about the exodus which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. And I just want to picture Moses he knew. He was a part of God's first exodus. That was the, the story of God delivering them from Egypt and delivering them to the promised land. That was a kind of exodus. But generations later, they were in captivity to the Babylonians and to the Assyrians. It was a partial exodus that Moses helped, that God used Moses to bring about. And Elijah, he was a part of another kind of exodus, um, an exodus from like idol worship. And so um, at the time when Elijah was a prophet, he was a prophet of prophets. This dude did some pretty awesome stuff. Um, But one of the things that he did, God used him to deliver God's people from the worship of this idol Baal. And yet that too was a partial exodus. God's people still turned to other things after that. And so Jesus is standing there with these two guys. They gave it their best. God used them pivotally. Uh, they're incredible pillars in the history of God's people. Um, and yet they're standing there and they're saying, you are going to do, they're not just talking about death. They're talking about, you're going to do the actual exodus. The exodus. Jesus' departure, the chosen one, will provide the final exodus. And when Jesus was standing on the cross, he said, it's finished. The exodus that he provided has happened. And so because of that, what we're celebrating as Christians um, isn't just that Jesus, you know, died and rose again, but that he was God's chosen one to deliver us um, through his departure, through his exodus, out of the penalty of sin. We're no longer regarded according to the, the demands of sin any longer. He saves us from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin and all its effects entirely. It happened. It is finished. We should be reminded of God's provision, his covering, and his exodus, which he has fulfilled. And I don't know any better way to remind ourselves of that than to stand up and worship. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing ourselves out of here. And these words were chosen very deliberately so that we would, you know, not just like move our mouths and make word sounds with our tongues, but so that we would believe what these words testify about. And these songs, I love them. Thank you, Ryan, for picking them. Say some pretty astounding stuff about us. If we believe this is true, this will change how we walk out of here today. And it'll change how we live moment to moment, day to day, hour by hour, over the rest of this week and our entire lives. We have to believe it. We can't just say, yeah, I believe you. I trust you. And stay put. We actually have to walk it out. So let me pray, and we're going to respond and worship. God, I just thank you so much for being patient with us. Um, The the reality is is that you have proven yourself trustworthy and dependable um, for our whole lives. We have no reason to look anywhere else but you, and and yet we do. We find ourselves um, turning to little petty things, um, distracting ourselves from from living on mission, from living in community, from um, believing you are who you say you are. And so, God, we need your help. I pray that your spirit um, would be like the radiance of Christ in us, waking us up um, to what you say is true about us. Uh, I pray that you would honor this time of singing and response, um, and you'd use it to um, make these truths alive in our hearts. We pray all this in the name of your son. Amen.